So I'd like to invite you, before I begin to talk about judgments, to just go inward for a while and ask where, what are the judgments that have been, that are present in my experience? And particularly, let's ask, what, if, what judgments have been around the last 48 hours? And this is just for yourself. Again, thinking of judgments as this combination of some observation, but something that has a very strong charge. It could be a judgment of self about oneself, or it could be a judgment of others. So just to reflect, what's, what's been strong for you? So would anyone like to, just in one sentence, name a judgment that's been around for you? Confidentiality will be maintained. <laughs> would anyone just, just, just to kind of get us familiar with the territory? Anyone like to name one? I'm going to name a few of mine in a moment. No. <laughs> Please. Mm-hmm. I'm not good enough to do that, or um, Lori, you stated today, what did you do? Mm-hmm. I mean, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that kind of so self-judgments, did everyone hear self-judgments, why did I do that, that was dumb to do that. So thank, thank you for, for, sh- for sharing this, not easy. Please. A lot of political judgments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could you name one? <laughs> Still from hearing in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And can, can you frame it as a judgment? Like Yeah, um, yesterday I heard Diane Feinstein read a list of quotes mm-hmm. that Roberts had written in memos and stuff, mm-hmm. and his response to that, I, I had a very strong judgment, both about his attitude and mm-hmm. just dismay that it seemed to, he was dismissing it as the prevailing attitude mm-hmm. as how to get things done. Mm-hmm. So a, ne- a political judgment, particularly negative about someone who may have big impact on our lives. Yeah. Please. This one's embarrassing to admit, but my sister's not as mature as I am. <laughs> <laughs> Her sister is not as mature as she is. And particularly, well, she doesn't follow this Buddhist path, so she can't look at our conflict as enlightened. It's the way I can. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No. That <laughs> her sister, not being as light, as enlightened, can't work out conflicts as well. Okay, and if only, yeah. one or two more, please. Judgments are um, people in my life should be different. Mm-hmm. Specific people should be different. They should behave and act differently than they're actually mm-hmm. behaving. 
judgments about myself are I should be working harder, mm -hmm. I should be eating better, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. I should be working harder, I should be eating better, and other people should be behaving better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. I have a son who uh, was raised in a very liberal household. Mm -hmm. chosen to become a born-again Christian, mm -hmm. which makes it very difficult for me to allow him to have the kind of family life that he feels is important guidelines for him to raise his children by. Mm -hmm. But what I see happening is setting in early a deep prejudice and it's very difficult for me. Yeah. I talked with him about it. He flew out to see me a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. and, and the judgment is that he's... We talked particularly yeah. about this. Yeah. Mm. if he doesn't instill these programs in his children. Mm -hmm. These two girls, 14 and 16. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm having a lot of trouble working with that. Yeah. So there's a judgment about that there's something off or wrong. And then you're mentioning how he has judgments too, that he he would judge himself were he not to act as he believes. So thank you. I can thank you for sharing that. I can hear that that's uh, very difficult. And you had maybe the last one. You had one. Self and others judgment on yeah. being ignorant. What was he? How could he be such ignorance? Yeah. Ignorance in myself and, and others. Yeah. Something, things that I see that I deem to be that I deem ignorant. Yeah. So a judgment, how could that person be so stupid? stupid? <laughs> right. So, so thank, thank you especially for expressing the judgments very directly. We can notice that we actually dressed them up just a little bit. <laughs> did, you, did you feel that? Um, so I thought of a few of my own judgments uh, or judgments that I've been around. Um, Sometimes um, in my family, I've been judged for being too sensitive. Does anyone else? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a judgment that I worked with uh, a number of years ago when I finished a phase of working very hard and being connected with a graduate school, and then I went on retreat a lot of the time, I really found myself judging myself harshly for not having done more meditation, for sort of um, being spiritually not adequate. Harsh, very harsh, you know, very, very painful. Um, you know, we can judge political figures, obviously. Uh, we can, I can judge that the president is so... You fill it in. <laughs> you know, or... You know, or, or, or whatever. We can judge 
those self-righteous leftists. You know, they're so not hard to fill in. So there's these are very strong energies in our experience. And in my own experience working with meditation and teaching meditation, these kind of questions are almost the most um, important for people. You know, in, in all the topics that people want to talk about, judgments are very close to the top of the list, along with anger and death and relationships. I think they're all probably, they're probably intimately connected. <laughs> but, but, it's, but judgments are a very, very powerful area that for a lot of us, they determine our well-being or our suffering to a large extent. We can feel ourselves really caught in judgments for a lot of our experience. And, so there, and sometimes it's very hard to feel any way out. You know, they're like the mind constructing a sense of reality for ourselves in a way that we buy into very, very easily. And that leads, and so they're very, very pervasive, they're very powerful, and they have a lot to do with suffering her freedom. And so it's a very, very crucial area for, for practice. And it's also an area that's, that's um, often been talked about in, in various traditions as being very pivotal. You, you may remember from the Old Testament, Jesus says, do not judge and you will not be judged. The judgments you give are the judgments you will get. The amount you measure out is the amount you will be given. Why do you observe the splinter in your brother's eye and never notice the plank in your own? <laughs> How dare you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye when all the, the time there is a plank in your own. <laughs> Fairly direct, direct teaching there. Hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye first and then you will seek <laughs> clearly enough to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. You know where this wonderful story in the Jewish tradition of um, just showing sort of the prevalence, even in spiritual circles, of judgments, self-image, comparisons, and so forth. This wonderful story where one day the uh, rabbi is overcome by emotion and gets down in the synagogue and says, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. And then the cantor, overcome by similar religious emotion, gets down on the floor and says, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. At which point, the uh, shamus or the custodian, overcome by emotion, gets down on the floor and says, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. At which point, the rabbi turns to the cantor and says, look who thinks he's nothing. You know, I was, I was also thinking of the um, psychology of Carl Jung, where there's a very powerful statement that that which we don't deal with internally, we will tend to project outward as demonic and judge. So there's some very powerful statement that um, doing this inner work is very key to, to working with judgment. So what are judgments? What, what really are they? You know, in this, in uh, looking at judgments as um, 
in our experience. And I think a large part of our investigation has to initially just be mindfulness, just to notice judgments, to study them, to explore them. I'm going to talk uh, in a while more systematically about three ways of working with judgments, one through mindfulness, one through loving-kindness, and basically a sense of warmth and, and caring, and thirdly through um, inquiry, or looking, kind of looking more deeply at what's there with the judgments. And initially we have to really work with mindfulness practice and just to notice them. And it can be overwhelming because when we start noticing judgments and naming them, we notice how pervasive they are. And it can be, it can be uh, shocking. I, um, myself, uh, I regard myself as having been conditioned to be quite judgmental. And so in a sense, I'm a, a recovering judgmental person. <laughs> So um, I, think, I think I'm talking, so I'm talking a lot actually about out of my own experience, or I haven't actually read that much on judgments, and what I've read actually I don't find so helpful. But it comes, it... Interesting territory. Huh? <laughs> so we'll see see if that continues. <laughs> uh, but but to be, can one can one just? So the question was: Was there a lot of charge with that statement, or was it just a, a very clear observation? <laughs> we will see. Um, so, in my own experience, initially, I think I primarily was just uh, using mindfulness and and. I think I'm actually maybe merging a little bit the sense of what are judgments with how do we work with judgments. Because I've talked a little bit about mindfulness because that was really my personally, my initial way of working with judgments. And it's, it's, it's a foundational way, which is to simply notice. It's a lot just to notice when we've just been judgmental, just to say judgment, just to use the mental note and to keep on doing that, keep on saying that. And it can be a little bit overwhelming because we notice how pervasive they are. And I've done, uh, in the last two years, two day-longs on working with judgments, each of which have been followed by uh, kind of a working group that where we've met once a month on the theme of working with judgments. And what I've seen with the people I've worked with is that there is an initial period when people give attention to judgments when it can be a little bit overwhelming, just to notice that. Like if you really, if you want to do this practice, do this work with judgments, there can be a phase in which you just see it so pervasive. Now, not everyone will be the same way. Some of us are less judgmental than others, but um, relatively few, <laughs> perhaps. But because it's very strong in our, it's very strong in our culture. We have a, we have sort of have a judgmental adversarial culture uh, in many ways. And I think it's also, there's some positive aspects of judgment. I think it's also connected to some extent with individuation. You know, I I noticed when I've um, traveled in Asia, and uh, I've noticed that there are less overt judgments that come out than come out in our culture. And it's been very interesting to, uh, there's one uh, experience that I really remember in this regard, which is that I was... um, I was in Thailand, uh, this was probably, maybe this was about 10 years ago, 
and I was uh, participating in a gathering which lasted about two weeks uh, of the uh, uh, international network of engaged Buddhists, people who were trying to bring uh, Buddhist practice in connection with social change and social issues. And the gathering was probably 100 people, probably 80% from Asia, and mostly Thailand, uh, Cambodia, um, probably mostly Thailand and Cambodia, with some people also from Nepal, Japan, and so forth. And, you know, maybe 20% uh, people from Europe or North America. And I noticed that some, some of the organizers had, were Thai, and they had spent a lot of time in the U.S. And from my perception, they were bringing back some of these qualities of, of um, making... Um, observations more public. which and, and so, for example, at the end of one of our gatherings, there was an invitation for everyone to say publicly one thing which they liked and one thing which they didn't like about our gathering, something which in California is routine. And it was not routine there. you know. And people at first were very shy about saying anything. And a few people spoke, uh, and then everyone really got into it. And it was mostly, the negative comments were almost entirely about the food. <laughs> but it just, they just came out so strongly, and I thought, oh my God, we're bringing, you know, we're bringing certain kinds of individuation further into this culture, you know, certain kinds of, because a lot of it was very judgmental. And, and I had the feeling like this was, a, this was something which wasn't in that culture in the same way, and which was being brought in by people who had a fair amount of exposure to Western culture, for, I think for good and for bad. Not, not, and so I think that there's something about our being judgmental which, which comes with the territory of individuation, of being individuals with views, with boundaries, with, with so forth. So I think I say that partly to, to um, say that I think being judgmental is an occupational hazard rather than a curse. I think that's an important point because we can be very judgmental about how judgmental we are. And it's one of the problems which I've seen in myself and with others when we really notice judgment. So I, I wanted to say that partly just to give, give ourselves a lot of slack when we notice the judgments because that does come with more attention. We really notice the judgments. So for myself, that was the primary practice for a lot of years, really noticing judgments just sitting there and saying, judgment, judgment, I have a lot of judgments, judgment, <laughs> you know, and just doing that kind of mindfulness practice, which is really initial. It's just to notice the territory, begin seeing what's there. And some years ago, probably about six or six years ago, I um, was doing a long retreat, and I was working with uh, John Travis, and this was uh, coming right after this period when I had uh, I'd been really busy with my work, and I hadn't in my this was where I had the judgment that I hadn't done enough meditation, enough spiritual practice, and I was quite hard on myself. And John uh, saw that, and he he saw he he thought that the even with all the mindfulness, there were residues, some strong residues of judgment, and so he had me very creatively do a practice which uh, I did probably for about a year and a half. And the practice was when, uh, in the context of a two-month retreat, 
I started it. And it was a practice of noticing, uh, or let's see, at the end of every sitting, I would stay for about 10 minutes and I would summon judgments which had, were, had been around lately. At the beginning of the retreat, there were ones that I brought into the retreat, uh, like the one I mentioned. And later in the, later in the uh, retreat, it might have just been whatever was around in the last 24 hours, you know, like that was a really lousy Dharma talk. <laughs> or, you know, um, that person, you know, you know, you've all done retreats or even here, you know, there, there are little judgments, but that person always comes in late, you know, or that person is obviously really sick and should leave the hall for the benefit of all, you know, or, or things which are relatively, in the picture, general picture of things, they're relatively mild judgments, but they can really get on our minds, of course. And we may even have judgments about some of the other people in this hall right here. It's possible. And so I would, I would notice, I would sort of summon whatever was present and invite them to be there, and then I would just hang out with them and notice what was there. And what, uh, the, what I did was I let them be there on a verbal level, and then I would, the instructions were to sort of listen in my body and my heart for what the judgments were about once they had, the, the verbal part had sort of toned down. Because for me, most of the time, the judgments come pure, mostly verbally. And it might be different for some of you, but for me they come, and for many of us, they come verbally. They come and present themselves as the absolute truth and complete arbiter of reality. And, and they, they present, you know, they, and they present themselves usually as, I am right, this is not, there's, there's no need to look any deeper, this is the complete truth, follow it. <laughs> right? And, and so what I did was I hung out with the, um, in the body, and in the heart with the judgments. And I also did that whenever judgments would come up in the moment. I was doing other practices a lot of the time, but when a judgment would come up in the moment, I would also do the same practice. I would listen for what the judgment was. I'd basically give attention to it. And then I would uh, sort of listen for the larger resonance in body and heart. And I did this for two months. I probably did that 10-minute exercise 10 or 12 times a day and for 60 days in a row. And then I also uh, worked with the judgments in the moment, like at, you know, the ones I was mentioning, like in the hall or at the lunch line. I think my favorite judgment was when the the condiments are arranged in a way that makes the line take half an hour to get through. (laughs) Can't they? They should do this better. And what I found, after about a month of doing this, there was a kind of a realization of something which was that I found that all of the judgments, when I listened in my body and I listened in my heart, there was some kind of pain connected with the judgment. Even the small ones, even the waiting in the lunch line, there was some kind of pain that was impatience. And I came to see that there was some kind of pain with my larger judgments about myself, when I listened in my body and my heart, there was inevitably some kind of uh, sadness or grief, something like that. You know, as, as we could hear with many of the judgments that we each gave in the hall, there was some kind of pain there. And after a while, I came to see that 
for myself, and I would invite you to explore this, I came to see for myself that the judgments in a way were a mechanism that I used to avoid feeling the pain. They were a way that I, in a sense, defended myself against the pain by hooking on to something that was, uh, seemed to be truthful. And that could be uh, a way of um, taking a stance where I didn't have to feel the pain, where I could distance myself from the pain and come to a kind of safe position. So, 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 uh, so I thought. In other words, judgments seem to be defense mechanisms. They seem to be marvelous defense mechanisms in which, you know, in my own typical defense mechanism that I studied, that I had, I had actually studied earlier, was that when I was, um, when I would typically be judgmental of others, um, it would often be a way of not having to feel something that was painful and be in a position of distanced moral and spiritual superiority in which I was distanced from the pain. I sort of put the pain at arm's length. I didn't feel it, but I found a safe position of superiority because of the judgment. Now, that was, that was a breakthrough because after a while I just started to listen for where the pain was. You know, it started to set, you know, just started to be able to tune in more quickly to what was painful. So the judgments would be an invitation to inquire and I would always find some, some pain there. And after a while of doing this, and after two months I continued the practice, probably for another year and a half, and I brought it out into everyday life, where it also, beca- because I was able to do that by my, on my own to some extent, it made it more easy when someone else was judgmental towards me, I tended to be able to feel the pain beneath the judgment. After a while of doing this, I actually um, developed a lot of compassion for being judgmental. And I actually wanted to hang around judgmental people, which I did. <laughs> and uh, that, that wore off after a while. <laughs> but there was, there was actually a period when I really had a soft spot in my heart for judgmental people. And I, I would feel someone judgmental and say, oh, let me be near that person. I mean, I, I'm, not encouraging that necessarily, but it, it's actually it's a very powerful tool to actually not be taken in by either one's own or others' judgments. It's very, very powerful because can you imagine going when someone is judgmental towards you? Usually what happens when someone is judgmental towards us? Our defenses come right up, you know, and we, you know, we have different defense mechanisms. Some of us prefer to flee and others prefer to fight. <laughs> You know, but we have, you know, we all, we all go there. And can you imagine what it's like when someone is judgmental actually to be able to tune into what's beneath the judgment and not be taken in by that judgment? It was very liberating to feel that. And it led to a lot of um, compassion. Now, to me, this doesn't mean that the judgments are simply uh, off, that they're simply wrong. I think the fact because I think the, the work that um, I found myself doing tended, in touching the pain, it tended to disconnect the insight that was in the judgment 
from the pain. What that permitted was an ability to use the intelligence that was connected in the judgment, connected with the judgment, for more compassionate action. So in other words, here's, here's a, sort of a concise way of talking about what I found. And again, this is an invitation for you to look yourself. What I found was that when I looked carefully at judgments, there was, there was uh, pain there. When I was able to touch the pain with presence, with mindfulness and loving-kindness, there tended to be healing. The, the pain that was beneath the surface was able to be touched and in a way transformed such that there did after, you know, over time the judgments tended to cease. The judgments tended to dry up. Now, some areas of pain are more deep than others, so it takes different amounts of time. But there was some way of in the... And this is really the heart of what we do in meditation. When we bring kind, non-judgmental presence to a painful area, there's healing. And this is, this is at the core of how we might work with judgments. That when we can actually go beneath the judgments and touch the pain, the, the area of, that's generating the judgments can be healed. Again, it can be partial or it may take quite a bit of time. And there may be adjuncts that are necessary to help us work with a particular area of pain. You know, such as psychotherapy or conversations within friendships or doing other kinds of work. But what this meant for me was that uh, judgments are essentially a combination of insight plus unacknowledged pain. And that generates the judgments as a kind of defense against actually uh, encountering the unacknowledged pain. And so how do we work with judgments, if that, if that um, finding makes some sense. There are a few ways of working with judgments. The first, again, and I don't, wanna, I don't want to encourage us to rush the process because it really, this is a deep area and I think we, you know, we have to go at our own pace. But what I found is that there are at least these three tools for working with judgments. The mindfulness can really work with the initial Uh, sorting out of the territory. We need to just be able to tune in on judgments, and mindfulness can help us to do that. We can actually notice when they're judgments. Without mindfulness, we don't really notice. It's too hard to even know that judgments are around. Do you know how we, when judgments are strong, we don't even know we're in the midst of them? And so we need the mindfulness as an initial tool to work with the judgments. Just the naming. You know, we may be impatient. We may want to say, I want to heal my judgments immediately. We need to do mindfulness as a first step, just to notice the territory, to notice here's, here's judgment, here, here, here are the variety of judgments that I have. A second tool, I think, is um, loving-kindness. Let me, let me back up a little bit to say there, there are different aspects of mindfulness. One is just the labeling, the noticing. At other times, we can actually really have a kind of uh, presence to the judgments and feel what the judgments are like, feel what they're like in the body. If we notice ourselves being judgmental, we can just say, time to be mindful. Let me notice what it's like. Let me just notice, let me be present. 
without any expectations that we're getting rid of the judgment. That's important. Just to be present to the judgments. So mindfulness has at least those two aspects of naming, first tool, second tool, being present in a more sustained way when we can, either when they're happening in the moment or, or when, when they're coming back um, in our memory. I think it's also really important to use loving-kindness as a tool. So I think generally that's the second kind of tool that I, that I would uh, want to point to because when we go into the territory of judgments, we go into the territory of pain and, and, um, and deep aspirations, you know, deep aspirations for ourselves. And so I think that we can really easily lose perspective with judgments, especially when we start noticing them. So I think it's very important... Sometimes, if we notice ourselves getting overwhelmed with judgments, something like cultivating loving-kindness can be really crucial to really um, give some sense of care, some sense of joy, some sense of beauty. In other words, mindfulness goes directly into the territory. Loving-kindness helps us to come to balance and gives a kind of antidote. You know, so I would think if if, if the judgments are feeling overwhelming, or too much, then loving-kindness is a very good tool. And it's generally a good tool to have anyway because it really can help, um, help us to really stabilize, help us to really remember the beauty, the joy, the, um, the wonders of, um, of being alive, which when we're really in the midst of judgments and we're noticing them, that uh, perspective of beauty, of joy of the depths of human nature can really vanish. And so I think something that cultivates those really positive qualities can be, I think it's a really important uh, part of working with judgments. So this means if you're really feeling yourself really judgmental towards yourself, cultivate joy and beauty. <laughs> you know, go out in nature and, and really remember the really wonderful uh, qualities uh, of experience. Then the third, the third aspect of working with judgments is this quality of inquiry. It's this quality of listening for what's deeper. And this is, this is something that we can do, maybe like as in the practice that I mentioned, when there are judgments there, we can uh, listen for the judgments, let the judgments be present And then if we can, move our attention to listen more deeply through the body and through the heart, just to hang out when judgments are present, just to listen for what's there as much as possible without trying to make anything happen or to figure things out. So there's a kind of inquiry where we really just listen. What is this about? What is this judgment about? What's there? And in my experience, that could lead to going deeper and to being more aware of the complex of emotions which uh, are linked with the judgments. So that would be, there's a lot more we could say about that, but that would be a third kind of, um, a third kind of practice, mindfulness practice, something related to loving kindness and joy, and thirdly, a kind of inquiry where we listen more deeply, where we, where we, where we welcome the source of the judgment to reveal itself as much as possible without trying to figure it out and say, this should be happening now. That's, a, that's, that's not so helpful. And I think when we do this practice, 
we touch some of the roots of judgment and we begin to free the insight, which can be very powerful, the insight into the way something is, the insight into the way your friends are, or even the, I think the, the point I'm trying to make is that judgments are not simply negative. They carry insights, but the insights are linked with reactivity driven by unacknowledged pain. And what we do when we are mindful, when we touch the judgments deeply, we free the insight from the reactivity. And we can therefore use the insight for learning, for skillful action, for compassionate response to a situation, whether it's political, personal, or interpersonal. And so that's really the direction of the practice, is to uh, respect the judgments for carrying insight, but go deeper into the reactivity. Transform the reactivity, free up the insight for skillful action. At the end of a long process of myself working with judgments, I had a dream. In my house, there was a poster of myself in the style of a Western outlaw poster. (laughs) Wanted. I said to myself, it's time to take down that poster. And that was my dream. (laughs) And I said, oh, something's happened. (laughs) So thank you very much. I had an experience lately um, where I realized I was thinking about one of the thoughts, mm-hmm. thought experience that I keep having and recognizing it as a judgment. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that it wasn't really mine, it mm-hmm. was an inherited judgment. Mm-hmm. And it was so pervasive, and yeah. I've had it for as long as I can remember, and there was a real sort of moment of clarity that it wasn't mine and that if I yeah. listened to it I didn't agree with it. If yeah. I looked at what my life was like in the moment, it it really was not true. And that yeah. was that was very surprising because before mm-hmm. that I believed it one hundred percent. You know, but then it wasn't even mine. So that was mm-hmm. That's great. That that's really did everyone hear? No. No. She was saying that uh, when she was looking at a particular judgment, she noticed that it was inherited in a way, and that she, when she actually asked herself, do I believe in this, her answer was, not really. <laughs> and it was very freeing to, to um, notice that. that some of, and I think this is very true, that a large, a large amount of what we carry around, think of, the, think of the judgments we carry which come from our family, our culture. Yeah, please. Yeah. And that it is often it's linked to expectation. Yeah. And if I lose, if I identify what the expectation was that I had, that is irrelevant, then I can dissolve it, and mm-hmm. then the judgments go away. Mm-hmm. Did everyone hear the question? Did you? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so that's an interesting one. Um, and how does that feel to to let go of the expectations? Does that feel skillful? Yeah. Yeah, because there may be there may be some skillfulness in your expectations, you know. You may want your children to develop in a certain way. And so it seems to be very very challenging for us. It's not just with raising children, it's pretty much with doing anything. How do you do something without expectations? And what happens when what you want to happen doesn't happen? Right? I mean, it's really a general case, isn't it? It is, but I yeah. find that I can't control them with my expectations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> nor, can, nor can we control much of what our life is. So exactly. I think the question I would ask is, um, it really relates to skillfully working with judgments. Uh, I think the, the strategy which I suggest, which I'm suggesting, is to inquire into the judgments. One strategy would simply be to drop the judgments. You know, just get rid of them. My concern there would be that I think there's intelligence in the judgments. And if we simply drop them or take the judgments as somehow enemies, problems, we lose the intelligence. That's, that would be a concern. There's probably some intelligence in your expectations, but it's probably mixed in with other things. And the, the work, the, as I see it, the transformative work has a lot to do with inquiry and sort of unpacking the intelligence from the reactivity. And, and that's, that takes some inquiry. Um, it may be skillful just to suspend your expectations sometimes and to see what that's like. You know, you know I, I, think, I, I certainly do that as a tool sometimes. But if I only did that, I would lose the intelligence that, that are in my expectations. I think... I think um, Isn't the judgment a reaction? Well, I think I'm, I'm inviting you to look carefully for yourself. There, I'm saying, in my own experience, I saw it as some kind of clear observation linked with reaction. Mm-hmm. So it's not only reaction. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe there are a whole variety of judgments, but you know, the judgments... Uh, think of the judgments that we mentioned here. In when we talked together, I would think that most of what was mentioned there, you could say there was some noticing. Think of your your um, account of your your son, right? Now I, I would say that you're noticing some important things, but how do you disconnect that from reactivity? That's I think what the transformative work is. If one just sort of suppresses the judgment, you lose the risk. You know, think of. Uh, again, I don't want to focus too much if that's not, not comfortable for you, but it seemed like there, there might be a lot of clear observation in what is connected with your judgment. But, it, but, it also, but there's also uh, a certain amount of reactivity. Well, I discovered that, um, that it made me feel superior. Yeah. That my judgment is uh, superior to his. And I have to look at that reactivity. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Well, what I hear you saying is sometimes we're right. I mean, our ju- just because we have a judgment yeah. doesn't mean it's not right. Yeah. So not, you're saying don't throw away the, the wisdom there or yeah. the truth, is yeah. what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. But disconnect it from the emotional charge, which 
brings righteousness. Yeah, or the, the reactivity which brings that righteousness, yeah. Um, we have to be careful with saying we're right. <laughs> but, but I think, yeah, I'm saying that the ju- the, there can be an accurate observation. And it's somehow, I, in my own experience, I found it inevitably linked with pain. And the pain would turn the, the accurate observation into a way to essentially... Um, Almost like send negative energy towards self or other. Yeah, please. It strikes me in this conversation that working with judgment is almost exactly like working with attachment, right? Because at yeah. the core, it's, we want something to be other than what it is. Yeah. The pain comes from yeah. that. So, what would you say is the difference between judgment and attachment in terms of how to think about it or work with it? Yeah, that's a good question. Everyone here? Um, probably we would say that judgment would be a form of aversion, you know, so uh, that it's, it would kind of a highly um, articulated form of aversion. You know, basic aversion just says, don't like this. <laughs> you know, but the judgment has reasons and history and memory and so forth. So, as a form of aversion, aversion is very, you know, we, we talk about in Buddhist psychology, we talk about attachment and aversion as being separate, but they're actually quite connected. You know, we could say that um, sometimes we talk about, well, we talk about grasping and aversion. And we could say that both of them are based on some kind of attachment that we want something to be this way, or that the, one way to say it is that the present moment is not adequate. The present, the present moment is not okay. And that can, either, um, that can either surface as trying to grab hold of something to make the present moment better or to push away something to make the present moment better. So I think a judgment would typically... Um, yeah, I mean, if you... If you, if you if that sense of linking judgment to pain makes sense, then in some way what we're saying is um, I don't want to experience any pain. I'm attached to not experiencing pain. Uh, And when this situation comes up, I'm brought into the territory of my unacknowledged, somewhat unconscious pain and I defend myself against it with a judgment. And so there's a way in which it's very similar to very basic things we notice in our practice when we just sit here and we notice a pain in the knee and we say, I don't want that to be there. It's essentially the same dynamic except that (laughs) judgments are are linked with uh, pain that's a little more unconscious. That that unpacked some of it. Yeah, Please. Well, I was very struck by what this woman said about inherited judgment. Yeah. And I was wondering, actually, as you were speaking, if if judgment is almost beyond inherited, if it's in the, mm-hmm. if we're born judgmental, you know, in the sense that if even from babyhood, we might look at a person or a situation and say, this is mm-hmm. dangerous for me, or this is unhealthy mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at what point 
I mean, is that ever good in in the terms of it being like an instinctive survival mechanism, perhaps? Mm. Or does that, you know, then begin to set us up throughout our lives for other forms of judgment that become unhealthy? Mm-hmm. Or does it even exist, do you think, you know, in mm-hmm. an innate sort of a human condition? Mm. Deep question, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I'll, as with all deep questions, I'll turn it back <laughs> uh, and invite us all to look at that question, but not to evade the question either. Um, I think I have observed it, for instance, yeah. in my children yeah. when they were babies. Yeah. As a survival, you know, like a judgment about avoiding people or things or situations. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the direction of where you're going makes sense that we, for different reasons, each of us at very young ages uh, have certain painful experiences which we can't really open to. Or does the, or which are does the aversion even precede the experience? Mm-hmm. Well, let me... It's, it's complex, I think, and I think what I'm going to say is, is a little bit speculative, so, so take it with a grain of salt, okay? Um, because some, for us, some aspects of that very early experience are not always very accessible to us, so we have to be, a, you know, we have to be speculative a little bit about that, but um, it seems to me to make sense that um, we each have, we may have certain, let's say, fears or concerns which surface very early in our lives, and whether you take it to be innate or past life or part of one's psychology will leave up for grabs at this time. But in any case, it seems to happen, and we seem to um, um, we seem to shut down in certain ways because we don't want to experience certain kinds of pain, you know. And as we come into life as adults, we come um, we come with a certain amount of baggage, sometimes called the shadow. You know, the poet Robert Blythe talked about the long bag which we all carry behind us. <laughs> You know, which is the bag of with the shadow, or the bag of un- unresolved, unacknowledged pain, which we bring into adulthood, and then, you know, support the therapist of the San Francisco area <laughs> for many years. <laughs> Some of us to work through. It's kind of an interesting way to, I mean, talk about intelligent design. You know, <laughs> you know here it is. We 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 accumulate we accumulate pain unacknowledged pain in our childhood and then spent huge amounts of money to transform it as adults. You know. Anyway, whether that's intelligent design or not, I don't know, but that's, that seems to be the case for many of us. And, and so um, what we... I think the important thing is to uh, um, see that, yes, uh, a lot of these... a lot of the territory of judgments probably was formed before we were very old and that it it has a lot of charge and that it's not something totally under our control. 
And that's why the, the uh, tools of just being present to what's there uh, without necessarily trying to understand it with depth can be very helpful. Because it's really, it's, and, it's, and it's, there probably are a lot of varieties, like the, the notion of a lot of our um, judgments being inherited seems like a very uh, key insight. Because it's something that, because it, what I heard when you were saying it was that it, it, it allowed you really to um, notice it and seem to let go uh, quickly. You know, when you just know, oh, why am I believing this? It's, you know, it comes with the milk or it comes with the, the meals. And if I look independently at it, <clears throat> I can let go. You know, and other inherited judgments are less easy to let go of. They may be closer to one's identity. So, um, not to be overly theoretical here, but I, I think that it's helpful to see that we a lot of <clears throat> a lot of the energy behind judgments may be quite old. It may be inherited. It may come from childhood, and so it's it's deeply rooted. And yet, these tools can slowly uncover the territory because what we're in this practice, maybe this is the last thing I'll say because we're, we're at, at time, but I think what we, the long run, what we do <clears throat> is we really find ways to be present to whatever unacknowledged pain there is. And the beauty of the meditation process is that we don't really force it. We let it be somewhat organic. You know, we let things appear when they're ready to appear. We don't sort of storm the fort and say, let me get at my pain. That can be not so helpful, you know, but that we let, as it were, the defenses melt on their own, in their own time, rather than force them. You know, there are different strategies here, but that, I think, is the kind of the organic nature of this practice. And so, in doing so, we come to touch the areas of pain, and we come to open up to almost like um, a more unconditional identity that's rooted in presence and awareness and wisdom. And I think we, we increasingly move into that identity. But the, the working with the judgments is this very um, key area which makes it harder to just be in that very open, loving presence. And that's why I think it's very crucial to actually take it as a part of one's practice in a, in a focused way. Because it's a major... You know, in, in Buddhist psychology, we would say that it's very closely connected with self-concept and with self-image, a lot of these judgments. And as we work with the judgments, we tend to dissolve the rigidity of self and open up to something that is more this very beautiful, open, loving presence that, that um, is really the heart of um, who we become as we do this work. So it's a deep work. It takes time. One has to be patient. It's also very helpful to compare notes with others because it's very easy when we're doing the judgment work to feel, oh my God, I am so judgmental and and get very judgmental as we uncover judgments. It's very easy for that to happen. So it's very helpful. This is where I think the aspect of community plays a big role because we can really compare notes to, you know, like we can hear everyone's judgments is very similar here. And it's very similar territory. And we just need the patience to keep on looking and keep on touching what's difficult 
and over time, um, transformation occurs. It's very simple. Presence to what's painful heals. It sometimes takes quite a while. But that's the core, the very simple mechanism of this. And we should be very fortunate to have a community and to have practices that can do this. Think of, I don't know, not to be overly judgmental, or, <laughs> but uh, well, that's just to be grateful. You can think that, it, that I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful because in many parts, of, many earlier times in my life, I did not have these resources, did not have these perspectives, and I can see that many people don't. And they, get, they stay locked in their judgments. And there's a lot of suffering there. And there's a lot of freedom in doing this work. So let me stop there and maybe just, add, you know, just uh, take a minute or two just to, to close. So letting me present what was helpful from the morning perhaps related to judgments, but even maybe there was something else that was important that came in the sitting or in the even time before that. So let be present any intention of how you'll bring this practice into your life in the next week. What would be helpful? And what will you do in the next 24 hours to begin this practice? So may the fruits of the morning, our practice, our discussion, our inquiry, may we share this with all beings, knowing that we practice not just for ourselves but for all others. And may the fruits of our transformative work with judgments be shared widely in the world for the healing and transformation of all beings. Thank you very much.